So you know that I, uh, during my Bible college years and, and a little bit there beyond, I was a, just a huge uh, admirer of the preaching of Wayne B. Smith there in Lexington, Kentucky at the Southland Christian Church. My wife went there uh, during her years at University of Kentucky studying family sciences and and uh, enjoyed worshiping uh, there. Wayne Smith was a unique, one-of-a-kind character. There will never be another one just quite like him. He was built about like Danny DeVito, uh, about that height anyway, uh, about as big as Boss Hogg, had a laugh even bigger that could bring down the roof, great sense of humor. And the church there at uh, Southland Christian grew from a handful to the hundreds to the, you know, the 4,000 mark or so before his, uh, his retirement. And he has since gone home to be with the Lord. But if you knew Wayne Smith... Uh, you loved Wayne Smith, and Wayne Smith had a way of telling it like it is, too. He'd have you laughing one minute and crying the next and flooding the aisle after that. And he always said, I'd never heard a bad short sermon, and his sermons were short and powerful. <laughs> but one time he, he was telling about a phone call that they got there at Southland Christian Church. And the person on the other end said to his secretary, I'd like to speak to the big hog at the trough, please. And she said, excuse me? I'd like to speak to the big hog at the trough, please. And she said, the big hog at the trough? Do you mean, do you mean Reverend Smith? And, and the, the guy said, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. She goes, well, well, sir, that's a little disrespectful. I mean, you could have called him pastor or reverend or brother Smith, something, but anything but big hog at the trough. He said, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a hog farmer over here in Jessamine County, and I just sold my hogs for $20,000, and I wanted to give 10% of it to the church, to which she said, oh, wait a minute. I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> Preachers have always gotten the bad rap of just wanting your money, right? Certainly televangelists uh, have not helped uh, that at all. I heard about one preacher that was marooned on a deserted island with one other guy, and the other guy was nervously pacing back and forth and back and forth at the edge of, uh, of the water. And, and, but the preacher was, was laying there with his hands behind his head, resting, kind of basking in the sunshine. And he says, aren't you nervous? Why aren't you worried like me? We're going to starve to death. No one's ever going to find us. He said, relax. He said, uh, this actually wasn't the preacher. I got ahead of myself. This man said, I make $100,000 a week and I tithe on it every week. My pastor will find us. <laughs> there. I should have just stuck with the one opener. <laughs> Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I've been reading through, rereading through a book called The uh, Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's a great little book, easy read uh, to go through. It's very rich for its size, though. I find myself uh, opening up the scriptures as I'm going through it and, and diving even deeper, so it's taking me longer than I anticipated uh, to thoughtfully go through the book. But it's a great book. And uh, last week's message and uh, messages number three and four uh, are going to be kind of unique and independent of the book, whereas today's message, what I'm going to do is go through, basically, and cover each of the treasure principles. There are six of them that Randy Alcorn uh, offers in his book. Vested interest. The bottom line of today's message is simply this, three words, interest follows investment. Interest follows investment. Now, some investments are riskier than others, but it's safe to say that there is no interest on an investment not made, right? 
You have to make the investment. You have to make the contributions to your 401k or your Roth IRA if you hope that it's going to accrue any kind of interest. If you hear about a business venture and you want to get in on it and you think it would be a good idea and you consider kind of doing so but you never act on it and the business takes off and grows by leaps and bounds, kind of like Forrest Gump. He thought, uh, you know, Apple was a fruit market and it did really well, he said referring to Apple Computer. But you got to make the investment if you hope interest will follow it. That's a play on words. It's true financially. Interest follows investment, not the other way around. But it's also true of our interest level. In fact, I love studying words, the etymology of a word, how it kind of evolves into a part of our vernacular today. And I thought about that. That's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Interesting thing. <laughs> when we say, I am interested in something, we are building interest, which means we have some sort of uh, investment in it that has led to our interest. Our interest begins to go up with the more skin we have in the game. And that's so true. There are lots of great missions programs out there uh, doing great things. And it can be overwhelming uh, to walk through the uh, Expo Hall, the North American Christian Convention, or the International Conference on Missions, which, by the way, is in Indianapolis again this year. And I hope several of us will have an opportunity to go down and, and take part in that. Uh, it's a great thing. But I've walked past many a booth and I've seen many a picture of great things going on to help children in other countries perhaps with medicine and education and put a roof over their heads and, and teaching them the gospel. And I've seen a lot of great things and I've been somewhat interested in each of those. But the last time it was in Indianapolis, as I was walking through the International Conference on Mission Expo Hall, I walked past Shiloh Christian Children's Ranch booth and I stopped and I backed up, and I turned around and started looking, and I got real interested in it. And I started looking at the pictures. You know what I was looking for? The faces of your kids and grandkids. Because Dover Christian Church sends a group every year to, to Missouri to go and to be a part of the Shiloh Christian Children's Ranch. And I wanted to see, are there any Dover kids in here? And then someone came over and started talking to me, probably offered me a pen or something. And, and I introduced myself. I'm the new pastor at Dover Christian Church and our church. Oh, yes, I know Dover. And we struck up a conversation like we were old friends. You know why? Because Dover has a vested interest in Shiloh Christian Children's Ranch and so my interest level had gone up beyond what it had just in a general sense for booth after booth after booth after booth. There is something about going, something about seeing and touching and tasting and smelling and, and really feeling the mission beyond just hearing about it or seeing the slides, though that can be powerful and we can get the general message of it, our interest level goes up when we have an investment in it. That's why it means so much to me to know that so many people from Dover Christian Church have gone all the way around to Ethiopia to be with Hope for His Children on their annual trips, and their theme is always changed. Because God changes your heart when you go, because you get invested, and you know what happens? Your interest level goes up, and you get interested in that in which you put your attention in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, 
one of the shortest passages of scripture I've ever preached on. <laughs> it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then his joy went, in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. <laughs> Do you feel sorry for the man in that story? The field traveler? Because he sold everything that he had and he paid all of that money for that field. None of us says, wow, that poor guy. He gave everything he had to buy that field. He's going to have to do without. We say, no, there's gold in them there hills, right? We say, this man in that story found a treasure hidden in the field. And so he went and he acquired that field because he knew there was a greater joy, a greater reward. He had a vested interest. His interest in that field went up because of what was buried there. In Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've heard the expression, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> this is kind of the reverse of that. That's true. But sometimes where we put our money, <laughs> that's where our interest is. Because interest follows investment. When we get invested in something, our interest level goes up. I'm excited every year to know that a group is going as they're getting ready to to Ethiopia, and I'll be honest, as I start to say, who all is going on the trip, and I start to hear the names, and I know the people, oh, he's going again, awesome, oh, man, that's going to be great, and I'm more interested to know, and I can't wait to get the updates, how's it going, are they having good weather, are they, are they making good contacts, have they, have they presented the gospel yet, have they visited the, the, uh, the, the children's home yet, where the orphanage is, they met the kids yet at CFI. I want to know this because now I'm like, I'm picturing. Oh, Colin's going again. Oh, that's awesome. Mr. Haney's going to be there. That's awesome. And then I learned my good friend Greg Hole is going for the first time ever. And I'm like, Greg's going? Oh, my goodness. Greg and Colin. Are oh, my goodness. That is going to be fantastic. And I get real excited about that. And as much as I love Linda and I love Colin and I love Greg, I hope someday... To know that my wife or my son or my 15-year-old daughter is on that list going. And my interest level is going to go up even more. And I'm going to be there watching them at the airport. And I'm going to be there when they get back. And I'm going to be praying more fervently than ever before. Because my interest will go up. Where is your treasure? What investments are you making? That's why our Faith Promise Partnerships are so important because when we invest through the Faith Promise Partnerships and we give to our 13 missionaries that we support through that program, when we hear about it, we're far more interested because of the investment that we have made. When you give of your tithes and your offerings here at Dover Christian Church, it's more than a figure in a bulletin. It's an investment in ministry. And so when you hear that X number of kids got to go to Hanging Rock Children's Camp, 
for the summer and half of their tuition to camp was paid. And you hear about children from our, our congregation and their best friends that they've invited to go with them, that they heard the gospel and that they made a decision for Christ and that they got into the swimming pool on that Friday afternoon, not just for a, a, a cool down and a dive, but to make life's most important decision. And that they confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and had someone baptize them into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And grandma cried and mom cried and the aunts and uncles who gathered there cried and the youth leaders cried. And everybody's so excited and praising the Lord. And you say, hey, <laughs> I had an investment in that. And you know what? Your interest level goes up. It's a play on word as I, words, as I said, because obviously it's in the Bible, it's in this parable, because we're talking about a heavenly treasure where moth and rust cannot destroy, and what you do in secret, God knows, and God rewards. A thousand years from now, it'll matter a whole lot more in some of the good things, some of the great things that I get to spend money on. Our family enjoys going on family vacations, and as long as we're able, we're going to continue to do so. And as long as we stay within our means, as long as we're tithing, as long as we're giving above the tithe and we're sacrificing, and as long as it's appropriate, I won't feel guilty about making those memories. That'll be great. But the cars that I drive, the home that I live in, a thousand years from now, won't matter. It may sound sappy and a little far-fetched, but perhaps a little bit of fantasy and whimsicalness on my part, but I really do believe that when we're in heaven, we'll have people tap us on the shoulder, we'll turn around, and they'll introduce themselves, and they'll say, that mission trip you went on, you presented the gospel, you didn't know it, but it took hold that day, and I, I didn't stop thinking about it. And two years later, I was still thinking about it, and someone led me to Christ, and they baptized me, and I surrendered to Jesus Christ and his, his soul-cleansing blood, and I'm here today because of the part that you played. Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you. And it, 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 there's nothing that can equate... Uh, with that kind of a wonderful, wonderful treasure. Here's how I liken the treasure principle. You know, imagine that you've, you've been given an all-expense-paid vacation for you and your family that comes with first-class round-trip airline tickets, chauffeur-driven limousine rides, and seven nights in an all-inclusive five-star hotel. You'd be crazy to turn that down, right? <laughs> Man, that's wonderful. That'd be great. At the same time, while you're there enjoying it, you'd keep in the back of your mind that it's temporary, right? At some point, you're going to get back on that plane, and you're going to leave the resort behind. You're coming back to Indiana, back to work, back to school, back to Dover, back to life as you know it. And you'd be foolish to go out of your way on that last day there at the resort to buy stuff for the resort, right? Right? 
On your last day of the seven-day vacation, you're not going to go down and, and buy a, a big-screen TV to put in the living room of the five-star resort that you've been enjoying because it's not yours, and you're leaving it behind, right? Nor would you spend a lot of time saying, you know, I like yellow. I have nothing against yellow, but I'd like it to be light gray and white in here. I'm and I'm going to redecorate it. Some of my favorite colors. Or to paint the living room, maybe you paint it a purple color because that's your favorite. Or the bathroom, you paint it a blue because that's your favorite color. Those things are great. And, and there's nothing wrong with the five-star resort, but you're leaving it behind, right? And every day that we live here on earth, we're reminded, I've got to enjoy every minute of it. You only live once, but at the same time, we keep in the back of our mind, I'm just a stranger, an alien passing through. This is not my home. I'm going to invest my money in the home that I live in more long term, the one back in Indiana. And as Christians, beyond even the home that we live in back here in Indiana, is the eternal home that Jesus is preparing for us with, with non-human hands. That's the home that I'm really needing to be working on and investing in. And the more I invest in it, the more my interest grows up. Whether you want to interpret that as a spiritual kind of interest with rewards awaiting for us in heaven, or you want to take it metaphorically and just think of the interest level that you're going to have because you're a stakeholder in the ministries that are going on it still rings true the treasure principle is that we're storing up treasure that's not in this world but it's in the eternal one proverbs 23 5 says cast but a glance and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle no matter how much wealth we earn or receive while on earth we leave it here when we go our families might inherit what we leave behind our favorite charities might receive gifts but none of it goes with us the only thing that goes with us are the treasures that we store up in heaven God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him John Piper writes Okay, so here are those six principles. If you want to write them down, or if you want to pick up a copy of the book. By the way, <laughs> Dover Christian Church Library has a copy of this book, and it's the exact same copy that the preacher accidentally took home and left home thinking it was his. So <laughs> when the preacher returns it to the church, it'll be back in the church library, and you're welcome to check that out or borrow it any time. All right, treasure principle number one, God owns everything. I am his money manager. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he talked to them about the Macedonian Christians, and he used them as an example, and he was clear. He says, look, you know, don't feel bad about your lack of opportunity, but I want to tell you this so that you'll be motivated because of what the Macedonians did. And he told them in verse 2, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, a very severe trial... <laughs> If you underline in your Bibles, you might underline a very severe trial. We're not talking about a head cold. <laughs> We're not talking about, you know, your car broke down. A very severe trial. Their overflowing joy. It's paradoxical, isn't it? Severe trial, overflowing joy. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
It almost seems oxymoronic, doesn't it? That they're going through this extreme, very severe trial, and yet they have overflowing joy. 2 Corinthians 8.1 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's a testimony to everyone around them. 2 Corinthians 8.19 says, What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. The first principle, God owns everything. I'm his money manager. The second treasure principle is this. My heart always where I put God's money. <laughs> Talked a lot about that already. But it's so true. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul writes, But whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in the sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Thinking beyond this life. To what lies ahead. And pressing on to not an perspective but an eternal one proverbs 21 13 says whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered <laughs> wow jeremiah twenty two sixteen says he defended the cause of the poor and the needy and so all went well is that not what it means to know me declares the lord if you want to have the heart of christ you want to increase your interest level in godly things. You want to be more deeply committed to following Jesus every day. Think like he thinks. Do like he does. Examine the scriptures and you'll see that it was all about standing up for the weak, defending the cause of the weak, being a father to the father, and, and providing food for the hungry. God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable. 15% of everything that Christ said relates to this topic. 15%. And I feel guilty if I preach on it once every five years. <laughs> 15%. More than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Perhaps the reason he did that is because of the fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle money. They're interconnected. John the Baptist, John chapter 3, three different groups of people asked him questions about how they could bear the fruit of repentance. They wanted to know how they could get in on this. How can we bear the fruit of repentance? How can we be saved? How can we inherit eternal life? How can we the kingdom and his answers to these groups were as follows in verse 11 of john 3 he he told them to share their clothes and the food with the poor good answer but does that match the question <laughs> in verse 13 he told tax collectors they shouldn't pocket extra money i like that one 
In verse 14, he told soldiers they should be content with their wages and not extort money. <laughs> How can I inherit eternal life, he says. Don't extort money, give to the poor. <laughs> Interesting. Every answer dealt with the handling of money, but not one person asked him about that directly. They wanted to know about spiritual transformation. And why did John talk about those things? Our approach to money and possessions isn't just important. It is central to our spiritual lives. Because where you put your investment, your interest follows. Zacchaeus. First thing he did when he shimmied down that tree... In front of everyone, he runs up to Jesus and he says, half of what I give, I'll give to the poor. And if I have wronged anyone anything, I'll give back four times as much. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. He just said, I want to come to your house for dinner tonight. Hurry down this tree, for I must come to your house for dinner. Everybody, he's going to be the guest of a sinner and a tax collector. And Zacchaeus immediately says, half of everything I have, I'll give to the poor. The people who uh, were in the town of Ephesus, who had been occultists, burned their magic books. A lot of criticism went with that. They've lost their minds. They're radical. And I've read that in today's economy, those books would have been worth millions of dollars. But see, they were so sold out to Christ, they were having a vested interest in his kingdom, and their interest was going up. There's a huge contrast between the widow who gave two small coins worth about one cent together and a very wealthy man who came up to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I, I believe the man was sincere. And I think Jesus' response indicates that. And, and he goes, well, you're, you're, you know the law. What does it say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, good, go do that and you'll live. And he asks him one more question. And, and when Jesus turns around and, and says to him, go, you still lack one thing. One thing, he said, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it says the man left sad because he was wealthy. Now, he may have left sad because he was wealthy, but Jesus told him to sell everything he had, and it was going to cost him dearly. But I think most people agree he left sad because he couldn't find it within himself to repent. And we're not told anywhere that you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor in order to be saved. Why did Jesus tell him to do that? Because it was his one thing. There are plenty of examples of rich people in the Bible that are not told, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will be saved. Look at Lydia. Lydia was a very wealthy woman. There housed the apostles as they came through the Galatia area. She was very wealthy, and, it, and, it, and the Bible talks highly of her for being a successful businesswoman and for using her wealth as an investment to further the gospel. And you know what? She was very interested. <laughs> you think about Barnabas. Barnabas was so sold out over following Christ that he gave half of his property to the church leaders and said, here, give this to anyone as he might have need, because he was so sold out. And you know what happened to Barnabas's interest? It went up because interest follows investment. Sacrificing of gold and silver demonstrates to us and to God and to others that he ranks above it all. Number three, treasure principle number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9 says, And then I heard that what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder. Shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linens, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. The church, collectively, you and me, we're the bride of Christ. And the wedding day is coming. And there is a, a reunion where the, where the eastern sky is going to split open. And Jesus is coming back. And he is going to rapture the living and quicken the dead. And we're going to have a feast that no earthly dollars could afford. <laughs> and we need to be converting our currency. <laughs> that's an analogy that's in that book. Randy Alcorn talks about what it would be like... <laughs> If you were around at the end of the Civil War and you had a lot of Confederate money, it'd be a good time to convert that <laughs> uh, to Union dollars, right? Have you ever gone through currency exchange? You're getting ready to leave after a vacation or a missions trip, and, and you've got all this money that's, that's not your country's money? It, you want to get that exchanged before you leave there because it's worth very little when you leave there. The fourth treasure principle. Oh, by the way, someone has said you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> number four, treasure principle number four, the dot, but not the line. Now, that just simply means a dot is kind of a fixed spot on a calendar. But a line with an arrow shape on the end, an arrowhead on the end, indicates a continuous motion. Isn't that a wonderful way to look at life? I mean, the saying, you only live once, is true for the Christian. It's true for everyone, really. You only live once, but it's a continuous, never-ending, eternal life. For the Christian, we pass from life into life. Uh, we die knowing we'll live forever. And that's an awesome, wonderful, wonderful thing. Think eternal, not temporary. Number five, treasure principle number five. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who rich, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a, farm, a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. One final principle. Treasure principle number six. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. You ever view your job? your business as, as a ministry? That the whole reason we're here on earth, I mean, if it's temporary, you know, if it's, if it's 100 years, give or take a few, that we're here and, and we're, we're building up this, making this money or whatever, that part of the reason that we do that is for the opportunity to have a vested interest in the kingdom of God, to have a part in it. God doesn't need our stuff. What God needs is our sacrifice. He, he needs our, our generosity, our sacrifice. 
Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are all in the ministry, right? Our workplaces, our interactions that we have, the businesses that the business that we conduct, the trips that we take, everywhere we go, we are all ministers of the gospel. Oh, we maybe didn't all go to seminary, we may not all be considered ordained clergy, but we are all in the ministry, and we are all on the mission field, and even the way in which we work, best employee in the office or the factory, best student in the classroom, best athlete on the field, setting that example, setting the bar high, causing people to say, oh, he's a Christian or she's a Christian. That, that'll, that'll be a good employee because, because that's the, rep rep the reputation that, we've, that we have established. And beyond that, the opportunity that we have to be generous and to share. You know, if somebody was to underwrite ministry for a church and say, you don't have to take up an offering anymore. All the bills will be paid. We're just going to underwrite everything. Do you know, I would still push anyway, that we would need to have an offering, that we would still need to sacrifice as part of our worship that we would still need to give and to contribute. And, it, and if, if we couldn't spend all the money here, we'd find a way to serve others with it and to give it away in the name of Christ because it's not about the need, it's about our need to give, our need to worship in that way, our need to sacrifice. When I first became a Christian and was working in a grocery store, I think I made $8,000 that year. And I remember learning about a tithe. By the way, the tithe, if you're new to faith or whatever, and you hear the word tithe, it sounds like we're saying tithes. Tithes, it, it, it's actually a, numer it's a mathematical amount. It's, it means 10%. Our 10% is what we're saying. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to do that. And that year I gave $800 to the church. The only time in the New Testament really that tithing is kind of uh, looked upon with a frown is, is if it's in legalism and a person feels like they're just paying, making a payment, <laughs> And that beyond that, there's no reason to give or be generous. I, I gave at the office. I gave my, my tithe, my 10%, I'm done, kind of thing. I, you know, the, the, uh, the Pharisees were so legalistic, they would have people counting out their seasonings. <laughs> Nine for me, one for the Lord. Nine for me, one for the Lord. They kind of lost the idea behind trusting God with the, the tithe, giving generously. My first ministry I had was a weekend ministry where I came home and preached on Sunday and came home on Friday, worked at the church, preached on Sunday, went back to school the rest of that, that school year. And the church generously paid me $12,000. And that year I gave 1200 to the church. And I'm hoping that, and I've continued, Shauna and I have continued to do that through our married lives as well with our combined income. And I'm hoping to do that to encourage our children as they get into their own lives and their own earning of money, that they'll learn to save and they'll learn to spend wisely 
and they'll learn to give the Lord the first of the first fruits right off the top to the Lord because it belongs to him. And that they'll never have to hear him say in their eternal lives, you robbed me. What? How, how did I rob you? You, God, how did I rob you? In tithes and offerings. The Bible says that that will be said to some people. And as parents, I think we all have an important role to teach our children the importance of generosity. I think that's why Paul was telling the Corinthians about the Macedonians. It wasn't to brag on the Macedonians. It wasn't to make the Corinthians feel guilty. It was to show them the joy of having an investment that's out of this world with an interest level that's eternal. This quote, page 19 of the Treasure Principle, uh, reminds me that we had on a cruise once. Randy Alcorn writes, If you ever feel inclined to, to talk a young believer, including your own child, out of giving, restrain yourself. Don't quench the Spirit of God and don't rob someone of the present joy and future rewards of giving. Instead, watch and learn. <laughs> then lay God's assets on the table and ask him what he wants you to give away. Once when we were on a cruise, and if you've gone on one of those, it's one of the most, I think, affordable vacations a family can take because everything's all-inclusive. The food, the entertainment, the, the, the place where you stay, it's all, it's all there, you know. And, but you have to pay the gratuity up front. And I always enjoy being able to express thanks to anyone who is, is, is serving us. And so it's a little difficult for me because you pay it so far in advance, and then when you're on the cruise and it rolls around, it's kind of like, well, that was three months ago when we booked this thing. It was generous. It was forced upon us. <laughs> Hardly call it a gratuity. <laughs> it's, thank you. We'll take that, you know. Uh, Seldom is a forced gratuity ever what I would give either. I usually would have given more than that. Um, and so it's kind of, it just kind of rubs you the wrong way when it's taken like that. But we had a wonderful server. Served us all of our meals all week long. And in the course of conversation, we had learned as a family, asking this young man about his family. He was married. He had a child back home. And he was working for several months at a time without seeing them to earn money to send back home. And he wasn't complaining about that or bragging about it. It just came up in the course of conversation. We were asking him the questions, and he was just taking time to answer our questions. So we got to discussing that among ourselves, and we wanted to do something for him, something generously. And so we had a tip envelope that was provided, and we put some additional cash beyond what, what was required in that envelope. Well, we had talked about putting more in it uh, after hearing his story and getting to know him, but we really felt like we had already spent all we should spend, you know, on the cruise and everything else. I mean, hey, there's only, you know, so much, and, and, and we were talking about this and so forth. And so we said, well, how much was in there? And when I grabbed the envelope, it was thicker than I remembered it being. And um, I looked at Shauna, and she looked at me, and we said, well, how, what in the world, what is this? And, you know, why is it so thick? And I started to open it up, and, and our son started acting nervous. Like, oh, no, no, don't, uh, what are you doing? You know, don't, you know. we opened it up, and, and he had snuck three of his own $20 bills into that envelope without us knowing about it. Didn't want us to know about it. 
I'm just going to slide that in there and give it to this person because the stories had touched his heart and his interest level had gone up. And as such, he wanted to invest more for more interest in this situation. And I remember, we're like, what do we do? What do we do? And how do you explain to your kid? We were thinking about adding a 20, not three 20s. And that's on our, our level of income, <laughs> you know. This is your spending money that you've saved. And I don't, honestly don't remember how that turned out. I think because the waiter was nearby and had already, you know, I think we just went ahead and put it back in there and, and gave it, if I remember correctly. Makes a better story if we did. Um, <laughs> I think we did. By the way, our son's home, he has an appointment uh, tomorrow on uh, the three-day weekend or he wouldn't have been home. And when, your kids, when you're a preacher and your kids come home from college, you have to get their permission for stories that you already have in your notes. So he graciously agreed. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but when I read Randy Alcorn's thing, don't ever try to talk a young believer out of generosity, even your own child. <laughs> Instead, let them teach you. <laughs> And that day, Shauna and I, we learned a great lesson. And the Corinthians were learning a lesson about the Macedonians. And all of us need to learn a lesson about the treasure. Not the earthly treasure, the real treasure. The good treasure that will escape moth and rust. Jesus never said that treasure was bad. Treasure is really good. But it's temporary on earth. Seek the treasure that's eternal. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord, for these wise words that reflect us back to your scripture and remind us, God, that beyond dollars and cents, beside bills that need to be paid, uh, God, there is an eternal value, a spiritual growth that takes place in us when, when we get to be generous, when we get to worship you by saying, I love my silver and gold, but I love the Lord more. And we get to demonstrate that. Not just to put our money where our mouths are, but to put our interest following our investment. God, we are very much interested in your kingdom. And may you find great joy uh, and delight in watching your children, God, be responsible and obedient with returning the tithe to you that you've trusted us with. And by being generous with our sacrificial giving, that, God, we might get to be a part of your kingdom work. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.